Welcome to Punk Ghost Pod, the weekly podcast that chronicles the Fearless Records Punk Goes series. I feel, like, I feel like I made a mistake in there somewhere. You didn't. It's just the pauses were very deliberate. Yeah. And it came across a bit stilted. Oh, it was very stilted. Was that the intention? Not really, no. <laughs> I wanted it to kind of flow but with a bit of a funny voice and it, I failed. I fail you, you all. You didn't fail. I think, like we said last week, this is going to be an increasingly interesting exercise the less that we speak to people in general. Yeah. I was on a couple of phone meetings today and, good lord, I I don't know why the issue is exacerbated when I'm not looking someone in the eye. Like, a couple of Zoom calls that I needed to do today just weren't working, so I had to dial in on my phone and for some reason, just not having faces to talk to, I just struggled so hard. And you're working from home is affecting me in that you're writing on my notepad. Well. For my notes. My notes live there. <laughs> so what are, what are we doing this week? So this week we are looking at the song Sun, as performed by Daphne Loves Derby which hails from Punk Goes Acoustic 2. Now, I want a little bit... I want to go on a little bit of a rant. Will you allow me to go on a little bit of a rant? I will, because you noted it very politely in our notes. Oh, well, so I'm a polite guy. Go for it. Uh, but before that, I want to... Uh, we want to give a huge thank you once again to Richard S. He, mm-hmm. uh, guested on last week's pod, and also edited last yes. week's pod, did an excellent job of that. So thank you again, Richard no doubt you will probably be on every week now. <laughs> and you're more than welcome, that's fine. At the Yeah, there is always a home for you here at Punk Goes Pod HQ, especially, yeah, the moment when we're all starved for social contact. Like, it's... I thought you were going to say starved for attention, and I was like, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> um, so, no, I am very much looking forward to having an excuse to pester Richard in more ways than I usually do. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the Plain White Tees who retweeted our tweet oh, of yeah. their episode. And it is so obvious that they did not listen to it because... We weren't terribly kind. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and what is it about... So they've retweeted us um, on a... Dance Gavin Dance didn't retweet us, did they? they no. So um, other other friend of the pod, Jason, um, told them about us. Yes. Was the story? Uh, yes. Yeah, basically, I don't know. basically something like that. Um, because I thought that they retweeted us, and I was like, "Why is it the bands we don't like, or no. we don't have much to say, are the ones that retweet the show?" So yeah, obviously someone has set like a Google alert or a Twitter of some. I don't know what you can do on Twitter that makes it obvious that someone is. But yeah, um, would be interesting if they had actually listened, but I highly doubt it because we haven't had any angry DMs about it. Nah. So. They pro- I mean, it's the plain, if it's the plain white tees, they probably just go, well, you fucking recorded that in your living room where millionaires or, probably, mm. eh, maybe not millionaires, but they'd be, they'd be well off. Yeah. They'd be comfortable. Hey there, Delilah definitely would have netted them some, some coin. This is true. Alright. So I want to rant. Yes. It started off with um, the the Punk Goes Acoustic 2 album cover. Yes. And it then started sort of just... 
I realised a lot of it is kind of terrible. The Punk Goes Acoustic 2 album cover is really terrible. Is that the one with the dude and the guitar? It's the the dude holding the guitar behind him. Yeah, it's rubbish. It's absolute garbage. How does that... How does that express that this is punk bands doing acoustic songs? You know how you could have fixed that? Really simple. Give that guy a mohawk and a battle vest and do the same photo. The exact same photo. True. And it would have, would have gone, oh, that's a punk dude with an acoustic guitar. Okay, I get the idea. And then it kind of morphed further on. A lot of their album covers are just garbage. I would love to know who is responsible for their album art because a lot of it is rubbish. Like some of it's some of it's pretty good. Like the the first pop, the well, the one that we basically yeah got quote inspiration end quote from in terms yeah. of our one self inspired. Um, like ours is a bastardized version of that because it is such an iconic piece of album art to me like yeah as soon as we first started talking about doing this podcast i was like yep i know exactly what i want to do for yep. the artwork for it the metal one again like it's kind of basic but it you get what it's doing it's the the, the devil horns yeah and i think there's flames or something behind it the i, I can't remember if it's the uh, yeah it's the first 90s is clever because it's the it's the nirvana is it yeah, um, the baby, but it has a mohawk. But he has a mohawk. Is that Nevermind? Uh, yeah, it is. It's the album. Like, it's based off the album art for Nirvana's Nevermind. And, like, the first acoustic one, again, it's like a guy with spiky hair and tattoos. It's just a very badly rendered picture, though. It's it's not great, but it gets the idea across better than the next one. And then the third Punk Goes Acoustic is a fucking shop front. It's a picture of a shop front. Which, I don't mind it because it's clean and it's contemporary. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's just like a little record store kind of thing. Like, it makes sense to me. But so much of the album artwork is just garbage. It's just punk goes pop, volume four. It just, it's the words. Yeah, like, I guess at least they've gone for some form of consistency across... Pop volumes two through seven, in that it's always a crowd from behind, like that classic image of like live music, someone putting horns up in the air, silhouettes of the backs of a crowd. True. Facing a stage, and then it's just pop in like huge letters with some form of like fancy whatever. But like, they do the consistency thing really good, really well, I should say. They do the consistent branding thing but it's just and i don't know what it is about so many comp albums just the artwork generally kind of sucks yeah i don't know and like maybe it is because these days album art isn't that big of a deal because we're looking at little what 100 pixel by 100 pixel renditions of like an album cover in the bottom left-hand corner of whatever we're listening from. Yeah. That kind of thing. But, like, yeah. For some... For for me, I think it's... Yeah. I... When I did used to voraciously, like, purchase CDs at the expense of eating lunch, for example, yeah. like, album art has always been a big thing for me. And yeah. And it just kind of sucks that that has fallen by the wayside. And for me, like, someone who... Someone who listens to, to metal... Back in the day before, you know, you'd have something like Spotify or YouTube or something, 
you kind of based a lot of your opinions or like what your decisions, your purchases on the album art. Yeah, God, yeah. And yeah, if your if your thing is just box letters, punk goes pop, volume five, and it's just yeah, it's got the crowd, but it's like a cartoon rendered crowd. It's just garbage. Look, I yeah, I don't hate it as much as you do, but it's just more in the sense of like. Yeah, I do appreciate that. At least they've got it consistently tacky across the range. But, yeah, it's just... I don't know. They could definitely elevate it a bit. And, yeah, there are certain comps that just really, like, just wang the artwork. Like, <laughs> Punk Goes Acoustic, just all of... Well, yeah, save for the most recent one, which I quite enjoy that one. It's a good aesthetic to it. But, yeah, it's all just a bit rubbish. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, it just, I don't know, maybe there's not a hell of a lot of budget for them. Maybe that's just the vibe they were going for. But Yeah, maybe the art department's not terribly, like, maybe their roster there isn't uh, terribly full. <laughs> What's your favourite album art? The 90s one is good. I do like the 90s one. The Betty B. Are you talking about the Punk Ghost series? I was or? just talking about in general, but that's also good information. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. I should have been more specific. Um, there's some really, really dope metal covers. Like, there's yeah. some really fantastic ones. The Black Dahlia Murders, always. Well, no, not always. Um, basically, everything after Nocturnal is choice. Yeah. Um, Miasma is just. I think it's they took a picture of Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and that was their album cover. It's like, how are we supposed to know? It's a death metal band. Um. I always just really liked the kind of evil stuff. So, like, Morbid Angel kind of did that. Yeah. Suffocation did that. Um, probably a couple of my favourites would be the Death albums. Mm-hmm. So, um, Leprosy has this horrible-looking person with leprosy on it. Like, a cartoon. A, a drawing. And, again, like, that another drawing bit... for spiritual healing. And it's a, like, obviously a, uh, like, a pseudo-healer. Mm-hmm. Not really healing much um but yeah probably probably stuff along those lines again like i mean that sort of scene i guess so yeah i gravitate more towards it um but yeah i don't really as of now i don't really know off the top of my head what about you yeah it's one of those things like i guess it's similar to like what's your favorite music video what's your favorite whatever song like Mm. When, I, when I'm put on the spot, I couldn't tell you, but, like, in terms of, like, iconic album covers, like, I remember being a kid and looking through Dad's collection of records and, yeah. like, and just, yeah, that whole thing of, like, having, like, the large format of, like, the LP covers, that kind of thing, like, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is sick, like, that album art yeah. is so good. Uh- Album art from the 70s was... Oh, just fucking ruled. Yeah, like they some really incredible stuff. Because, yeah, they had the real estate on which to do really excellent artwork. In terms of, like, iconic sort of album covers from when I was growing up, like, I would say, like, American Idiot, just the immediacy of, like, the heart grenade. Like, it's not the most masterful thing, but in terms of iconography, like, it just nailed it. Yeah. Um, and then... There's always going to be those album covers that I just sort of associate with growing up and being a kid and, like, 
So like Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, like just Gerard Way's artwork for that is really cool. Um, yeah, I like that's one that I would say is legitimately like he's a talented artist. Like it's a genuinely good cover. But yeah, I I guess there is like a layer of like just emotional co- connection to these things, which mm. they're not necessarily good in terms of like how they're rendered, but they're just very indelible parts of the whole experience of me getting into the bands that I love, that sort of thing. I want to see a big-time pop star, and someone probably has done it, but I want to see a big-time pop star not use their face for the album cover. Like, I want to see Taylor Swift's next album. She picks an... She, there's an actual picture, and it's not just her face. But again... I mean, she sort of half did that on 1989, because all you can see is, like, from the... Like, you don't see her eyes. It's like the front of okay. her, but like from the nose down, essentially. Okay. I'm going to pull it out and show um, you. But I guess at the same time, if you're just a person, then I guess you need to sort of sell that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you can very much tell that's Taylor Swift. And then I guess she's on the back. Yeah, like still. you know that's Taylor Swift. Um, I remember, so I'd go through my brother's CDs. Yeah. Um, that's how a lot of my sort of heavier tastes sort of were birthed were from sharing a room with him and the one that frightened me was the Rage Against the Machine self-titled album oh that's the I don't know if you've seen the picture of the was it like the 60s the the Vietnamese monk that burnt himself alive oh yeah yeah they used that yeah and there's something about them like literally capitalizing off that kind of yeah imagery yeah. that's kind of fucked. Yeah. But yeah, I do remember that. Like I remember seeing that as the album cover and also out of or within its original context and it's just it's cooked. Like yeah. um completely unrelated. I just remembered the artwork for Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by Smashing Pumpkins would have to be what among yeah, my be- favorites. It's just beautiful. That's beautiful, yeah. Like that's the kind of shit that I would get tattooed on me. Because <laughs> it's just really pretty and, like, classic. Now that you've got your first, it's like, I'm going to get everything tattooed on me. Look, once I can go outside, that's probably one of the first places I'm going to go is just to have some sort of, like, cathartic release of, like, all this pent-up, like, what the fuck is going on. It's just, yeah, let's just stab into my body yeah, it's a lot. Great. So, go from one rant to another. Let's talk about Daphne Loves Derby. Derby? Derby, Derby I'm going to say. Son. Try to study every inch of your body in this picture From a distant day When I could safely say Nothing in this world could tear me down in any way but like a dream, you disappeared Without a sound, without a trace Sleep well, darling Wherever you are I hope that you're happy tonight And maybe you found someone who loves you right Sleep well, darling I'm desperate to see So... Uh, Daphne Loves Derby. They were formed in 2001 from Kent, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what, is Seattle in Washington? Yes, know. it is. Is there, I don't know too much about America. There's not <laughs> two Washingtons, is there? Like, Washington is the same as Washington, D.C., right? Uh, like, the capital. 
I think they're different. Washington, D.C. versus Washington. Let me see. Because I don't know why. I feel like they're they're different. What the fuck? Washington is on the west coast of the U.S., whereas Washington, D.C. is on the east coast. God damn it, America. The abbreviation D.C. stands for District of Columbia. Washington State is one of the states of the United States. Yeah. So there you go. Well, there you go. That just, like, just come up with another name. Yeah. Anyway. It's like, it's like if our Parliament House was in Canberra, but we also had, like, Canberra. Canberra 2. Yeah, Canberra 2, Electric Boogaloo. Fucking the squeak hall. Um, I love that our natural response when we're wrong is just to get angry that that's the way it is. It's just like, well, fuck that. Like, <laughs> instead of being a bit humbled, like, we should read more. It's just like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> Look, there's no arguments there. Um, so, the band were, well, Daphne Loves Derby were the first band to reach one million plays on the music streaming website Pure Volume. Did you ever use Pure Volume? Never. No. I, I knew, didn't even know about it. I knew what it was in terms of aesthetics. Like, as an emo kid, I was like, fuck yes, Pure Volume, but I never actually used it. So was it like streaming? Was it torrenting? What was it? I believe it was, um... Was it like MySpace? What was I, no, so I think it was more like... I'm trying to think of what its equivalent would be. Like... Ooh, let me have a look. Pure volume. Brr, 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 so brr. Oh, it while, still exists. While you're looking into that, they have stopped touring as of 2015 and have released three albums to their name. Well, there you go. There you go. So it sounds as if, like, it might have been, like, proto-SoundCloud kind of thing. If that makes sense. Okay. Pure Volume is a website, or I should say was... I don't know if... Oh, I don't know. Is slash was a website for the discovery and promotion of new music and emerging artists. The mission was to give artists a new promotion tool. Each artist has a profile that typically contains basic info, updates, photos, shows, and music for streaming. Artists have the option of making each of their songs available for free download. Listeners and fans are also able to create profiles to interact with artists and each other. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so, it's, yeah, sort of like proto-SoundCloud, but a bit more like... Like, I never used, like, Last FM or anything like that either, but, no. like, just that sort of quasi, like, social media kind of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember just the brand Pure Volume, like, being a big thing, like, being well aware of what it was, but never actually using it. Okay. Yeah. So. So yeah, for them to have reached a million plays on pure volume, like that is very much like that was a marker of like you have made it in the scene. And also the first band. Yeah. 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 So I guess good on them. Yeah. Now let's roast this song. Just quickly, I just want to have a look at what pure volume. Look, okay. So that's really weird. <laughs> so like pure volume, the domain still exists. But now it's just like a weird sort of... It's like a news website or something. I think it's just sort of one of those... Let me have a look. That looks like one of those weird websites you go to where it's just littered with ads like, 
I work from home and make fifty thousand dollars a week. You can learn how. You can learn too as well. It looks like it's just yeah, it sort of just scrapes the internet for stuff. But dermatologists hate her. Yeah, find out what her <laughs> secret is. It's one weird trick. <clears throat> anyway, that's funny. Um, so dermatologists yeah. also hate Daphne loves Derby. So they do, and yeah. so do I. <laughs> so before we get into the actual song itself. I just want to read out the bio for Daphne Loves Derby as it appears on Spotify, because it, it is one of the cringiest things I've oh, ever read. yes. So we've covered all the facts that we know about them, yeah? Because yeah, they, they don't have a heap <clears throat> on them, do It's they? brief. Yeah, so... It's brief. All right, so they're a verified artist, so that's good. Um, they do have around 20,000 monthly listeners, so nothing yeah. to sneeze at, I guess. All right, buckle up. Like Nirvana did almost two decades previously... I'm already, I'm already out. I'm done. <laughs> the pop-friendly indie trio Daphne Loves Derby originally formed in a small town near Seattle, Washington. Parentheses. Kent rather than Aberdeen in their case, end parentheses. When the band members, written as one word, were still teenagers. However, Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic, I don't know how to pronounce his name didn't have the internet when they were kids, so they didn't have the opportunities to jump the queue afforded by websites like MySpace and Pure Volume, and Cobain's personal demons are nowhere to be found in this young group's tuneful and relatively sunny music. Now, it's this next paragraph that just kills me. One of the new generation of bands whose high online profiles led to a relatively quick record deal, Daphne Loves Derby formed in 2002 when a 14-year-old prodigy named Jason Cole, sent an instant message to high school sophomore Kenny Choi after he saw Choi's first band play a local party. Let me just interject. So Jason Cole definitely wrote that bio. You would think that. Choi, a singer and guitarist, accepted Cole's invitation to jam with the young bassist and the equally youthful drummer Stu Clay. Fitting rehearsals around their academic schedule, fucking hell, parentheses, impressively, Cole managed to graduate not only from high school... Oh, bruh. <laughs> Congratulations. But from college in time for his 18th birthday, in parentheses. Cole, Choi, and Clay made their public debut at a local music festival where they learned just before they went on stage that there was already another band with their original name. Choi impulsively announced that their new name was Daphne Loves Derby, a meaningless handful- handle that nonetheless stuck. Daphne Loves Derby's homemade demo and free online downloads showcased the band's blend of winsome pop crafts, bleh, winsome pop craft a la The Shins, whose breathy vocal style Choi fairly approximates. That's kind of, it feels like a backhanded compliment, like fairly approximates, like sort of nailed it, but not really. Mm. Um, and Death Cab for Cutie style indie rock, garnering the band enough of a fan base to begin touring. In early 2005, Daphne Loves Derby signed with Outlook Music, a burgeoning indie label owned by Denver Broncos linebacker Trevor Price, (laughs) and released their debut EP, Closing Down the Patent Department. That EP, which consisted primarily... Let me try that again. That EP, which consisted primarily of the songs already available online, was quickly followed by the all-new On the Strength of All Convinced, a more varied and poppier record that included the single Hammers and Hearts. The band went on tour in North America and Japan soon after, sharing the stage with groups like Copeland, Paulson, House of Fools, Waking Ashland, and Sherwood. A year later, Daphne Loves Derby took a break to put together their second full-length effort, 
recorded at the home studio of Panic at the Disco producer Matt Squire. Goodnight Witness Light found the band following in the pop-oriented footsteps of their first full length. Cole left the band in order to go to school and pursue missionary work soon after the album was completed. Oh no, but he's a prodigy. And it was written by a gentleman called Stuart Mason. Because, oh. so, yeah, I was immediately like, yeah, that guy wrote their entire bio. I wonder if he got paid to do it by Jason Cole, though, because, like... I don't know, it's three paragraphs where you're not getting paid for that much. They're getting paid that much for it. So then, out of interest, I went to... Because Jason Cole has his own page on Spotify. And this one... <laughs> so, by contrast... 65 monthly listeners, which, look, let's be real, that's more than what we have each month, I'm sure, so... Uh, no, we've had, like, 200 plays this week. Oh. So... Well, then... Ha <laughs> <laughs> Um... And... Ro- roast him as much as you want, he'll still retweet us. Oh, don't. Alright, now this one... <clears throat> this one he wrote himself, I assume, because it just says, posted by Jason Call. <laughs> Most artists can't trace their careers from DIY viral stardom as a teenager to musical rediscovery as an adult. Really? I feel like a lot of artists can. Like Rebecca Black, like... I mean, Justin Bieber. Plain White Tees, viral, like... Right. Yeah. Lord. Yeah, but anyway, sure. Well, ju- ju- I mean, go back to Justin Bieber. He was... Yeah, he went viral. They picked him up. Yeah. <laughs> Even, like, Bad Baby. Like, she went viral yeah. for Cash Me Outside, and then... <laughs> so... Was he viral? Come on, Jason. Come on. But then again, most artists don't have a story like Jason Cole. Oh, he graduated high school. <laughs> Cole first made his way into the music community's ears as a member of Daphne Loves Derby, the beloved Washington trio whose uncanny ability to build fan connections through sites like Pure Volume and MySpace became a blueprint for independent artists searching for success in the 2000s. Forming when its members were still in high school, the band became an overnight sensation online, in their words, quote, going viral before viral existed, end quote, and were the first unsigned artist on the internet to reach one million song downloads. When they decided to take an extended hiatus after three full lengths and countless EPs, Cole stepped out of the spotlight for a few years to focus on his personal life and starting a family. But before long, he felt music beckoning him back. So he's not mentioning the, the missionary thing. No. Away, Interesting. F- away from the pressure of the limelight, he slowly began writing again and working... He slowly began writing again and working to find his voice as a solo artist after spending his formative years as a backing vocalist with a band by his side. The end result was his debut full-length Mariner, an effort that ultimately took nearly a decade and married his acoustic singer-songwriter style with newfound electronic elements. But it's with his sophomore record, record marathon that Cole has truly come into his own musically. So he detested not being the lead singer of Daphne Loves Derby. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I just, I want to know, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall for like when both of these bios were written, because it feels like, I don't know, maybe they Um, tried to get in touch with the other two guys and they weren't available. So then Jason was like, yeah, sure. This is how it started. It was when I did all these things and I started this band and then I went and did this thing. Like I'm imagining Jason sitting at his computer, a glass of wine, the lights are dimmed, <laughs> and he starts writing out his bio. 
Yeah. He's done. He takes a, like a, a lean back in his chair and he just sniffs his wine and just says, I think the world is ready now. <laughs> Post. Post. <laughs> it just like... Six. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a huge asshole, I'm sure, that because I'm reveling in how cringe this is, but like... But no, like, I mean, nobody likes a prodigy who talks themselves up as a prodigy. But what makes you a prodigy? What was he, the bass player? Uh, ooh. Hang on, let me see. Da, 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 da. Yeah, bass player. So he was a bass player prodigy at what? And they were saying 14? Yes. I uh, mean, come on. I knew some pretty damn good bass players at 14. And look, like they said, he managed to graduate not only from high school, but from college in time for his 18th birthday, but like... So he's smart. Yeah, but like, so are heaps of other people. Yeah, it's not unheard of. No. It's not unheard of. I just... And I know... You graduated younger than the rest of your class, so... Yeah, but that was just by fluke because of Kiwi versus Australian I'm talking you up. Take the compliment. Thank you. But like... Yeah, like, that is super cool, but also, (laughs) I've just, I've never read such a passive-aggressive thing, and it apparently isn't even written by Jason, but, like, it is all about Jason. Yeah. Like, yes, you started the band, but, like, there are other people in that band. Yeah. And you weren't even the (laughs) fucking frontman of the band. Like, it's a very, like, he's basically the Pete Wentz of this band, but, like, even so... Like, we still know about... The rest of Pan- uh, Fallout Boy. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I... It's just, yeah. So that's my... <laughs> that's my research for this, because oh, Jesus Christ. On a totally unrelated note, if someone can teach me how to make a Wikipedia page, there's another Sam Merrifield in the world that I would like to um, help create a Wikipedia page for. Not me. <laughs> But another Sam <laughs> who hunts aliens. I'm just Successfully. Gonna see. He's a more successful alien hunter than Tom DeLonge. I just want to see if I can find him on <laughs> Twitter. Because if I can, I'm absolutely going to follow him. People. Aw. Isn't what? that sweet? Not out of it, just genuinely curious. I said that was sweet. Aha. Here we go. Found him. Aw. What? Yeah, look, I... Yeah, I'm going to just hit follow and see what happens. (laughs) Oh, and there's Kenny. Okay. Uh, Nah, I'll just start with Jason for now. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about the song itself. I'm sure Kenny appreciates what we've said about Jason. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably just like, I agree. So if, if, if the listener glossed over what we were saying in the bio, Kenny Choi was the lead singer guitarist. Yes. Yes. Of the band. Um, what do you think of Sun? I don't like it. No. Like, and I can't even picture it having, like, being a song I would have liked as a kid. No. that makes sense? They talked about, in, and I loved that they talked about it in the bio, the whispery vocals. I have it written down on my notes, which you've written down on in my notebook. Sorry, I was oh, sorry. making a business There's, call. There was, you had paper in front of you when you used it. That's yes. fine. I wrote, first line, I don't like the whispery vocals. It doesn't make your song soulful, it's just annoying. Well, it just kind of makes me uncomfortable. Like, there's a certain level of, like, 
getting really intimate with a microphone that can be kind of it can work to your favor but then there's also the type that just makes my skin crawl and this is one of those ones there's only one person i would want to hear whisper sing and that person is owen wilson jesus christ (laughs) but isn't that it's basically like so scarlett johansson actress scarlett johansson didn't she do an album of tom waits covers and they were all it was like you're not a good singer you just whisper we can't get we can't get the tone of your voice we can't determine if it's a good or bad voice it's because you're whispering so much oh i'd forgotten all about that and now i'm upset remembering that that exists yeah and like you're not even a, a tom waits fan no i think for me the what what bugged me about scarlet's offering is that she falls into the category of those and i think i've definitely talked about it on here before but like that that brand of singing where it just sounds like your mouth is full of marbles and you're like singing around oh yeah like yeah yeah i can't like just yeah i think with a lot of actors and actresses they spend enough time with people not telling them no. Yes. They need to have that person that just says, you're not a good singer. Yeah. Bruce Willis, don't do it. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson, the world's not going to appreciate it. No. Understandably. And it's not going to be one of those things like, oh, you're a misunderstood artist. No, you're just not very good. No. Although Keanu Reeves was a bass player, so... And I'm sure he was a prodigy bass player as well. Yeah. He also graduated high school, I'm sure. Um, Actually, did he? I don't know. I'm not getting into yeah. Keanu. Like, not in like a... No, no, no. Like, I think he might have... He was a bit of a nomad. So. Yeah. He probably did, though. So, yeah. I think... I feel like this song and this band very much captures, like, the Zetgeist of, like, the early to mid-2000s, like, scene culture. Like, Mm. this perfectly encapsulates, like, just that thing of be a band comprised of soulful, gentle teens with swooshy fringes, have a social media presence, and you're going to fucking take off. Like, there was a real sort of culture around that DIY element of, like, getting to know your fans and, like, building your fan base in that sort of, quote, organic kind of fashion. And I guess the key point of difference to, like, every other genre and age of music that came before it is that they did have the internet to reach out, like, Mm. as opposed to, like... Nirvana. Well, yeah, or, like, as opposed to just, like, punk in, like, the classic sense, where I imagine it was a lot of, like, pasting up posters for your house show on the weekend and like ripping cassettes and like just that yeah but i think you know they a punk in the 80s and the 70s and the early 90s and whatnot and bands like that they still managed to maintain like fan bases like that because they would play the same three venues religiously Mm. they would be on the merch stand after the show yeah. Or they'd be at the bar, they'd be hanging out. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. They make it sound like they're the only band that's ever talked to their fans before. Or Jason makes it sound like they're the only band that ever talked to fans. Yeah. You know? I don't, like... I feel like 
this is something that I... Yeah. There's nothing about this that's... I don't want to say it's not creative. Well, but like... But it's just simple... This is my this is my beef with acoustic with a <laughs> with acoustic guitar music. Yeah. This is this is the moment where I go no, this is where I fucking hate it. It's just simple chords, and again, like the the verses, he's really whispery. Again, it's not soulful. It's just fucking annoying. It gets better during the the chorus. The chorus they. It gets better. I don't say it gets good. Yeah, that's it, true. It gets better because they're actually singing. Kenny is actually singing, not just whispering the verses. Mm. I think... And but... he kind of sounds like this. Imagine if I did an entire podcast like that. I'm not going to, but imagine. I don't want to. I think, like, going back to the point I made earlier about like this really captures like a moment in emo I guess where yeah like personal branding and marketing and content within that context was really taking off like it captures that moment but it captures it in both like the good and the bad side if that makes sense like this band is very emblematic of the I guess, uniqueness of what it was like to have that band slash fan interaction online back in the day. And, like, they sort of capture what it was that made it so exciting and, like, what sort of made a scene around just kids being this engaged in music. Like, Mm. but then on the other side of the coin, it's like, so many of these bands had they not had, I guess, like they mentioned in their bio, like that cue jumping in terms of pure volume, MySpace, all of that, I feel like so many of these bands would have just faded out Yeah. had they not had that extra level of access to kids in their home offices, living rooms, bedrooms, mm. whatever, listening to kind of mediocre music, but it obviously struck a chord for whatever reason. Yeah. And sort of catapulted them beyond what they would have achieved otherwise. I feel like... I'm I'm probably wrong about this, but I feel like we sort of underestimate the effect that MySpace really had oh, on God, music. Oh, God, yeah. Because you would... So I would, I would go to a, a band's page that I know, and then they would have in their top eight friends... You know, and you go, you'd go through and go, oh, what's that? I'll find, I'll look at this band, and you'll listen to a couple of their songs on their page. You go, oh wow, that's I like that. I'll, I'll listen to more of that. I just feel like, and it, we probably don't, but I just feel like we maybe do underestimate how important, and it was in, it was super important to genres like brutal death metal and you know slam metal and all that sort of stuff, but to other genres like emo and hardcore and everything as well like it was super important to the scene yeah Yeah. as sam was saying his bit just there i leaned into (laughs) my cd collection and fished out a cd that i got at a my chemical romance show by a local melbourne band called another day down they opened for my chem and i was obsessed with it 
Like, because after the show, they hung around and they had CDs and they signed them and they took photos. And, like, they never went anywhere beyond that. But, yeah, it was just such a moment in time where we were, like, like, going to shows was, like, such a big part of being a fan, being an active, engaged fan as a teenager, like, that was sort of a rite of passage for me. Like, going to the city, going to stay with my sister, going to go check out some music, like... And, yeah, even though, like, these local musicians, and, like, that's not to downplay their talent, because, like, they were a solid band, but, like, again, just that thing of, like, small-scale local artist opens for international artist in whatever capacity, however they managed to score that gig. But to me, I viewed them on the same level as the international one, if that makes sense. Because, yeah. oh my god, there's this guy, and he was just on stage, but now he's talking to and us and saying hello and taking photos with me. And, and it's the same stage that Gerard Way is now standing on. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, I remember going onto MySpace afterwards and being like, oh my god, I met whatever his name was from another day down. And, like, so... They were so lovely. And then on MySpace, them being like, hey, Emma, so nice. Thank you so much. And me being like, oh, my God. Even though it's just like, it was just a bunch of dudes from Melbourne. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like you said, I don't think we give the likes of MySpace and Pure Volume and that enough credit for what they were at the time in terms of that. I guess, arguably false sense of connectedness, but, like, that connectedness that we all had. Yeah. To our favourite artists, to each other, to the scene that we aligned with, all that kind of stuff. Like, Mm. it's so fascinating to look at it like that, because, yeah, even, like, when I first moved to Melbourne and, like, my boyfriend at the time was playing in his little musical whatever and we were, like, going to see gigs of his mates and everything and it felt... So cool, and, like, it is still, like, so cool, but also I can now look at it as, like, that is a hobby. Like, I'm not going to see a band with the intention of, like, and one day they're going to be playing, like, stadiums, and I'm going to be like, I knew them. It's just, like, no, like, it can just be, like, a small-scale thing. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know if this is sort of hitting on what you're talking about, but... um. I noticed, well, this is very noticeable at the, so the Melbourne club, Max Watts. Yeah. Um, so like where I stand, whenever I go see a show is I stand on the left side up against the wall yeah. so I can watch the stage and that's where the door is. And basically I don't think they have a way to get outside from yeah. backstage. So they have to walk through. Yeah. And the amount of times that you just see the, the previous band, they just walk through and sometimes you get people, like, stop them and be like, hey, I'd like to show. Other times people just sort of let them go through. But what's also kind of wild is I don't know if he works there or if he just goes there all the time, but Dave Haley, the drummer for Psychroptic, oh, yeah. is always at Max Watts. <laughs> and again, I don't know if he, like, works there or if it's just that he... Because they're from Tasmania, but I think he lives he lives in Melbourne. Yeah. So it's just like, well, I know this. I've played with this band. I know this band. I'm going to come go see them. And they, he'd probably get in for free. And nobody, I've never seen anyone. He's, every show I've been to, he's been there. Yeah. I've never seen anyone 
harass him, talk to him, anything. I do kind of love that about you do reach an age where you suddenly just tick over and it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like... And I think if you go enough times, it's like, okay, yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure... Look, I'm such a failure of a person that, like, I would still probably shit myself if I saw, like, a favourite artist of mine, like, on the other side of the street. Like, my dad always sort of quantifies, like, I don't know, like, we'll be watching, like, a doco about someone who'll be like, oh, like, I would not pay to go see them if they were across the street, whereas I'm like, I would! Mm. (laughs) But, like, I love the older I get, the less you give a shit. Like, Yeah. yeah, I... I'm trying to think of an example, but, like, I remember when I went and saw the matches a few years ago, and I'll admit I sort of did that thing where I was like, oh, I'll hang out, I guess, and see if I can meet. And, yeah, like, I met Sean, the lead singer, and, like, lovely guy. But, again, it's not like that thing where I was just like, oh, my God. Like, Mm. it was just like, yeah, nice to meet you, dude. Like, Mm. and then, yeah, going to see Andrew McMahon and his project, Andrew McMahon and the Wilderness. No, I think it was just, like, a solo tour. And yeah, like I said something from the crowd, like sort of banter with him and he sort of replied to me and I was just like, ah, nice. Like, but had I been a teenager, I would have just absolutely lost my mind. Like, but they're just people. And I think that's like trying to scramble back to Daphne Loves Derby, like... I mean, we're talking about them, aren't we? I know. But like, at the end of the day, like... They're just a bunch of guys playing music. I'm like, that's awesome. But, like, it is what it is. Yeah. And I feel like had they not had that boost via social media, or what constituted social media at the time, like, to me, their music is the equivalent of, like, jamming in high school. And, like, they are talented, but, like... This needs... This desperately needs a punk version of this song. Yeah. This desperately needs that. Without it, it's just... A, it, this is an acoustic song and it's the bare bones mm. version of an acoustic song. It's just, you know, they talk about sleeping well. Well, you know, I haven't been, I've been waking up early. <laughs> I've been waking up early the last couple of nights and not being able to go back to sleep. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this puts me there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, nah, it's just, um, it's not the best. We should also note off the bat that this is one of those songs where they don't have a punk version that they are covering. This yes. is the single offering for the week. Yeah. Um, hell yeah, or yeah, nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, nah, but I've got another segment that I would like to do before I ask you hell yeah. Oh, no, I'll ask you hell yeah, or yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Uh, look, it's nice to know that they are doing their thing as adults now. Yeah. But it's also just comparing that to whatever compelled Jason Call to <laughs> make such a big deal of himself in the bios. Like, I wonder how he feels about that now, if that makes sense. Like, that just seems like such a like full-body cringe thing. Depends when that was written. That could have been written last week. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I yeah, I'm done talking about this song for now. Yeah. Um. So, we were supposed to be seeing next Monday... I know. Tony Hawk. 
um, was coming over to Australia to do some nights with Tony Hawk. You know what? I'm just glad that Tony Hawk is safe. Exactly so, and he's looking after himself. Yes. I would rather that than, you know... No, we don't need option. to put the Birdman at risk no, with he, international flights. I think he... It's been postponed, so I think he plans to come back mm-hmm. or to come over. Um, and we will get him on here. And we will. Well, I guess I mean we weren't prepared for that, so... We were kind of prepared, but we didn't pull the trigger on trying to get him on. I was going to say maybe this is the universe's way of giving us more time, but if that's the case, then that is a really cruel... Yeah, it's a fucked up way to do that, isn't it? (laughs) But yeah, this has lit a fire (laughs) under our asses to actually get Tony Hawk on the pod. It will happen. But in honour of the Birdman's safety... Yes. um, There is a new Tony Hawk game coming out, apparently this year. (laughs) I'm sorry, it still tickles me that you can shift so effortlessly between Tony Hawk the person and Tony Hawk the game. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's expected to be sometime, I think, the end of this year. Hopefully it's better than Tony Hawk 5. What was so bad about Tony Hawk 5? uh, It just wasn't a very good game. It was very glitchy. It was very um, kind of boring. Uh, sure. They did a lot of focus on online, um, which if you go from a game that doesn't have on, well, like other games did, but if you go from a game that that its primary focus wasn't online to then being online, that kind of alienates your initial audience. Right. Yep. yep. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, the next one. And I don't know if this is going to be Tony Hawk Six or if it's going to be a different thing. Mm. But of course, I feel like one of the speculated things to yeah. do with uh, Tony Hawk games, much like, say, like a new Grand Theft Auto game or um, like a new Guitar Hero or Rock Band, what are the songs going to be on that soundtrack? Yeah. So I've compiled a bit of a fantasy list okay. of my own. I, uh, I had requested you to do that as well. Um, I don't know if you have, but you've been working yeah, look, <laughs> I've been earning my actual income. <laughs> you've been doing, you've been uh, working, you know, an actual job. Yes, I got started on this and got really excited about it, so I just kept going. I yeah, look, it's one of those ones I would like to go back and do my homework and come back with a list, but also you I can know always I, do next week. I won't though. That's fine. Yeah, look. You anyway. Would. That's look, fine. you you give me your list, and I'll spitball a few extra ones at you. Okay. So number one, straight off the bat, Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> and I don't, and I'm not saying that ironically. I think that that should be on there. They would sometimes put in a sort of joke song. Yeah. A song that wasn't, you know, I remember one of them they had, I think they had um, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. And it was like, well, that's not really a skate song. It's kind of. I kind of like it. Yeah. I feel like that would be kind of fun to, you know, pull off combos to, would be Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne. Yeah. No, it would be good. Number two, a song that I only discovered last year, but is fantastic. Do you know what it is? Ocean Avenue. Ocean Avenue. I can't not believe. We will be discussing Yellow Card at some point, and I will use that time to fully berate Sam for not <laughs> listening to Ocean Avenue until he was a 30-year-old man. Sure. Like, what? Anyway. That's fine. Uh, number three, Turbo by Judas Priest. Sick. Which I never remember. Is it Turbo or Turbo Lover? 
I last week was like, I love Judas Priest. But Is that the one that's like, I'm not yeah. lover. Excellent. Uh, Alive by P.O.D. Sick. Yep. I can see it. Now, you want to also put in some rap. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't really know new rap. I, I really don't know new rap. So if you want to come in with something... But I've put in a couple of... I have put in some rap songs. Yeah. I put in Freaks and Geeks by Childish Gambino. That would be good. And that was also the song that made me discover... Oh, fuck, Donald Glover's a rapper. Yeah, I still remember you welcoming me to the world of Childish Gambino. That was so good. I was like, is that Troy from Community? You're welcome. Thank you. Sabotage by Beastie Boys. Yep. Um, and now doing some like sort of lower, lower echelon pop punk bands. The band Spittlefield and the, their song I Love the Way She Says LA. Right. Uh, the Japanese all-female, I guess you'd call them thrash metal band, Valkyrie, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be Valkyrie. Okay. Uh, and their song Shouting to the Hell. Yeah. Dragula by Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. Die, Die, My Darling by The Misfits. Excellent. In the Belly of a Shark by Gallows. Yep. 100 Grand Canyon, Cancer Bats. Something I Call Personality by Newfound Glory. Sick. Shipping Up to Boston by Dropkick Murphys. I was mm-hmm. like, I want to maybe put some Scar in there. And then I was like, actually, why don't I put some banjos and punk music in there? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Swallowing the Rabbit Hole by Code Orange. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I did manage to put in some black metal. Okay. Would that... Did you put it in because you like black metal or is it like... THPS friendly black metal. Well, so it's Dark Throne. Sure. But it's Dark Throne in their later stages. Mm-hmm. Which, so it's Circle the Wagons, off their album Circle the Wagons. Yeah. Which is not so much black metal anymore, it's crust punk. Okay. And it would very much, you could very much play a Tony Hawk, a Tony Hawk game to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and lastly, Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang Clan. Sick. I I think we need to release that as a PGP sanctioned playlist on Spotify. Yeah. Um I am regretting not doing a list of my own. I got started, I was like, this is fun. I feel look, I because I was deprived as a child, we only ever had a SNES. Um so I never actually played Tony Hawk. I still haven't played Tony Hawk before, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't have, like, a huge amount of context beyond knowing the premise of it, like... Did I ever explain on this podcast that basically I would, and I think you could change the songs in later games, but in the earlier games you couldn't change the songs, you just have to restart the level to get the song that you like. (laughs) So, like, listen to the first second of the song, no, don't like that one. Oh, so... Pause it, restart, wait for it to load. <laughs> no, nah, don't like that one. Pause it, reload, wait, oh, restart, wait for, wait for it to reload. Then you'd hear. Yep. Right. So did it essentially play like on shuffle mode, like random? Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
Interesting. I yeah, I so I don't know, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do as masterful a playlist, if that makes sense. In terms of like a punk not punk, a rap edition, I'd go for like I don't, something by like Run the Jewels or something would be cool. Um or I feel like Kendrick's a bit of an obvious one. Um I don't know. I'll have a think about it. I might add a few tidbits to your playlist when it goes out. Okay. Um, but that's a very solid list. I also feel like, as someone who really enjoys like curating the perfect playlist, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd need like some more parameters to work around. Like, does it need to be themed to anything? Does it need to be a particular era? Does it need to be like? Well, that's kind of what they would always maybe not always but that's what they would sort of do from about well even the second one it was it was music from it was music from basically like the the 80s 90s and the early 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 2000s like they basically would pick a lot of music from different eras yeah the third one was where they definitely um like they had like motorhead Method Man and Red Man, mm-hmm. AFI. Yeah. They'd had, like, a whole bunch of different stuff from different times. Yeah. So, I think it was a lot of... Uh, probably a lot of it was just what the developers of the game liked. Yeah. And could get. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I am going to think about this and come back to you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I had more fun with that than I did with this week's song. <laughs> Oh, man. So what are we doing next week? So, next week we are looking at a song that is half decent. Um, Yeah, yeah. We are looking at the song Love Song by Sarah Burrells, as covered by Four Year Strong. Uh, So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands. Only go out for necessities. Hit us up on Twitter at PunkGoesPod at, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. That'll do. Yeah.